0: This is the Four Man Rush. Oh, what a rush! Welcome to the Four Man Rush, episode nine of the 2019. season for the carolina panthers i'm kevin uh, as always i got will and larry rolling with me straight to the point we're just going to discuss what's been going on when with the last seven days since we um since we all got together discussing wild rumors about the panthers the nfl um for the teams to do their rookie camp rookie mini camp south carolina coming to an agreement about the tax break for the panthers And just kind of see what else is going on in uh, Panthers land. So hop right to it. Um, With the 2019 season, with the draft that was just finished, concluded here, uh, the Panthers were able to finally get their rookies together, along with some tryout players for the annual uh, rookie mini camp. Uh, It was just past Friday and Saturday. Uh, With the rookie mini camp, you had all seven of the Panthers draft picks, also had the four undrafted um, free agents that we signed. Also, there was about 12 tryout players, uh, the players that we signed from the AAF, and a few other returning players that didn't get much playing time last season, such as quarterback uh, Kyle Allen. So they all got together. The What Rivera was trying to do was this time he experimented by making a more classroom session, learning the X's and O's and what we're trying to do versus just getting out there and running around. But, you know, one of the things I like about rookie minicamp is it gives us fans our first taste of some of the new toys that we got for Christmas, a.k.a. the NFL draft. But clearly, that was something that uh, I definitely enjoyed getting up to minute Twitter updates about, see what was going on, how guys were looking. Everybody, of course, was excited about, you know, our new pass rushers, particularly Brian Burns from Florida State and Christian Miller from Alabama. So from your take, start off with you, Larry. With rookie minicamp, what are some of the things that, coming from a fan's perspective, you was able to take in to kind of pique your interest a little bit?
1: Well, I'll start with step one. It was uh, Mr. Greg Little. You know, I love the Hawk Mollies. I love to study of the trenches. And, you know, before he was drafted, I was a little, bit, a little bit against the pick because I saw a lot of flaws in his game. But what really impressed me is from day one, mini camp, uh, John Matsko was addressing those flaws. Uh, one of the biggest ones that I noticed is that, you know, in our system, we pull everybody from tackle, guard, center, guard, tackle. Everybody pulls. All of our linemen have to be athletic enough to get out in space and make things happen. And what you saw, you know, in his tape, especially the breakdown that you did, when he does pull, he's either lost or he doesn't get to the man that he's supposed to block. And the first thing that I noticed just in my head is that comes down to technique. He didn't seem very comfortable pulling. So when you look at the first piece of footage in minicamp, John is addressing that. He's teaching him the proper arm rip. He's teaching him to have that first step lateral to the line of scrimmage. Just those day one little things meant a lot to me. I would love to just pick John Masco's brain one day just to talk to him because he it seems like he saw exactly what I saw. So as long as I see them addressing those little flaws, man, I have I feel like the sky's the limit. Showing that that guy can do it right from day one, the little things, that meant a lot to me. So that's what stood out. Also, uh, Brian Burns, you know, Christian Miller was good to see them. There was an interview that Brian Burns did on WFNZ. I'll probably let Will cover that. But he just basically was explaining how, um, you know, moving from a three-point stance to more of a two-point stance, it helps him get a bigger picture. Um, It helps him decide, you know, where his game plan is going to be because he can see everything better. He said it doesn't really affect him athletically, but I know Will will probably cover a little bit of that later. But that was just just pretty much it. I was really, really excited to see, you know, John Masco getting hands on with Greg Little right away.
0: Yeah, and another thing is, you know, a lot of Panther fans may not forget who's John Masco's assistant. And that's former Carolina Panthers offensive lineman uh, Travere Wharton. You know, also coming from, you know, he's alum from uh, University of South Carolina. I definitely like the fact that with him being on the staff, that he also can share game experience and really help these young guys who better home in their technique. Because, you know, for me, Travell Wharton was one of the most underrated offensive linemen the Panthers ever had. Wasn't much said about him because he just quietly went about and did his job. You know, I agree
1: 100%, Kev. 100% I agree with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was just someone that, you know, didn't get a lot of holding penalties. He didn't necessarily why you would a lot of, you know, knockdown plays, but he was just smooth, consistent. And he just was someone that, that just, you know, was just someone that was just a steady playmaker for us. So I think him bringing that type of experience uh, to help, you know, work on the offense line will really do wonders for not only Greg Little, but also Dennis Daly. You know, Larry, your your favorite draft pick from this draft. So, you know, <laughs> so we definitely look forward to um seeing what kind of uh magic Masco and Wharton can do with these players. But I definitely like, as you stated, them working on technique from day one because that's something that's gonna come with repetition after repetition.
1: Also having Wharton in there, you know he had a lot of experience at guard. You look at the position flexibility as of it stands right now, you got the you got Williams and you got Greg little, which Ron said can probably kick in the guard if needed. So just have that experience from the interior is going to help all of those guys out a lot as well.
0: Yeah. And another thing is people want to automatically, you know, write off, you know, Greg Van Roten, you know, the guy that we thought high of last year, make an impact. Like you, you're going to have to, you're going to have to outwork that guy because, you know, he played every offensive snap for us last year. Made some mistakes, but, you know, with the turnover that we had at left tackle, uh, you know, it's kind of understandable why, uh, you know, he probably couldn't do his best. But I definitely expect uh, Greg Van Roten to put up a hell of a fight to maintain his spot at left guard. So you're not just going to walk in and just take it from him.
1: You bring up a good point. And I know everybody looks at the tackle position as the most important position. But because you just brought that up, you gotta look at it like this. Greg Rubin ain't giving up that spot to nobody without a fight. And you also gotta look at Darrell Williams. He came here on the prove it deal, expecting to play tackle, and now it said that he might kick him in that guard. I know he feel like wherever he gets plugged in that, he's basically gotta go off. He gotta make sure he pops one take so he can make sure he can secure that bag. So that's gonna be to me, left guard is probably the biggest competition right
0: now. Yeah, I think so. But from your vantage point, Will, what was it that, as far as the skilled players during the rookie minicamp, was it anyone that you particularly had your eye on that you had been kind of following or anyone that that kind of stood out that a lot of people may not be aware of? Like, from your vantage point, what was your what was your insight on the uh, rookie minicamp the Panthers just had? Well, you know, just going off
2: observations, you know, stuff you read on the internet, you know, you see little bit of footage here and there. I really like what I saw with Brian Burns and Christian Miller. You know, they were doing, working with linebackers coach. Or what's his name? Steve Russ, you know, dropping in the coverage, doing um, coverage drills. You know, and then I saw Eric Washington working with them on defensive line drills. So you already see that, you know, they're going to be kind of hybrid players playing both D-line and linebackers, getting work with both position groups. So I think, you know, Eric Washington being back with uh, working with the defensive linemen full time, you know, don't underestimate that. That might be why the defensive line unit fell off so much last year, because he wasn't with them full time like he normally is. So that's something to look forward to with uh, Burns and Miller. And then as uh, Larry mentioned, Burns had a good uh, interview on WFNZ where we talked about you know, playing outside linebacker and being able to stand up and see things differently. You know, uh, the position just brings out all of his strengths. He can use his athleticism well. Whether, he, whether he's dropping into coverage, you know, it lets him be a pure pass rusher, which is his primary strength. So all these things, I think, we're just building a defense that really fits his strength. So, you know, I think that's the first thing that stood out was uh, the two new edge rushers. You know, another thing I'm seeing is. The running back competition's getting pretty heated. We got um, Elijah Holyfield and Jordan Scarlett going back and forth. And, you know, they're going to be competing with Cameron Artis-Payne, who's held that backup position now since he basically was drafted back in, what, 2015. So, you know, just things I was reading there, they both showed good hands. Because I think the biggest thing for them to take reps in a game-time situation is special teams, pass protection. And pass catching. So I think if they can just keep showing out, doing those things very well, you know, that running back position, uh, can't battle will get heated. And then somebody else I heard a lot of good things about was Terry Godwin. You know, he was shorthanded. You know, he came out there with no gloves on, catching balls in the rain. So I think, you know, with this guy, he might have a good shot to make the roster either as a return specialist or that six wide receiver. You know, but maybe... Eventually replace Jarius Wright as that short-handed, you know, stick chain-moving uh, receiver, Mister Third Down. So, you know, we heard a lot of positive things. You know, can't wait to see these guys in helmets and pads this summer.
1: I'll touch on Godwin real quick. I got to see him pretty closely, man. Living here out in, uh, in Georgia, pretty much see Georgia games every day. He was an asset to their offense, man. His, I think his favorite route was a drag route. He's he's good at this, like you said, Will. Coming across the field, he's good at finding the zone, finding a good space to sit in. He was like a safety blanket for Jake Fromm. So, you know, he's really similar to what Jarius Wright does for us now. So I think that'll be somebody to look out for, even though he was a seventh round pick. He has a lot of upside. So I agree with you there. And also with the running backs, some people are sleeping on Holyfield, but, you know, because he ran at 4840. But you mentioned to me earlier, which I also got to see firsthand, when you actually watch his tape, you watch his reps, he don't play like he run a 4-8. It's hard to explain, man. He, he's explosive. I see him bouncing outside and get around the corner. Guys can't do that running a 4-8, whether it's college or NFL. That man played in the SEC. So I guess what we're just waiting for is to see if he can actually bring that to the next level. Does that? athletic ability that we see on tape translate to the NFL? Because as of right now, the 40 don't say it. But if you really believe in your film, uh, it says something completely different.
2: Yeah, when you look at the uh, track record of running backs that run 4, 7, 5, and over, uh, no running back has ever had uh, 50 or more carries with that slow over 40 times, so it just shows that it's a very low success rate. And he'd be a big outlier if he was able to come into the league and contribute at a high level. But I think if there's anybody that can do that, it's him. I mean, I really like his tape. He's a tank up there. You know, he runs through defenders. He can bounce the ball outside when he needs to. And he's very explosive in short bursts. And I mean, he's got surprisingly good feet for a guy his size, too. I mean, he's a good back. I'm really surprised he went undrafted just off, you know, the 40 time.
0: Yeah, because when I looked up, you know, some information – on both of these guys, uh, I think we shared it earlier this morning amongst each other, amongst SEC running backs in the fourth quarter in 2018, Jordan Scarlett rated number one highest-graded running back in the fourth quarter with at least 25 attempts. He was graded at 85.8, and Elijah Holyfield came in third with a fourth-quarter grade of 76.5. And what that means was when it came to converting fourth down I mean converting um first downs and uh, moving the chain on third down and getting touchdowns you know these guys were were very productive in the fourth quarter so basically when it's money time these guys stepped up and performed and I think that that these are the type of things that 40 time mass people don't forget about the tape because they get so stuck on how guys running in their draws in February you know and I just really think that when you do your due diligence and just really look at the overall, you know, take of these guys, you'll, you'll definitely see that, you know, they got some things to work on, but the playmaking ability is there. You know, the ability to affect the game positively is there, and they did it with consistency. So, you know, nothing's going to be given in this running back battle. I think it's going to be, you know, one of the many hotly contested battles there you know you guys brought up you know camera artist pain you know we also have guys like you know Elijah Hood who's hungry uh also you know a lot of people forgot about Reggie Bonafon out of Louisville you know he played quarterback, running back and wide receiver now obviously for a majority of us you know we probably think those guys are I mean, going to be automatic cuts but you know they hungry they got a family to look out for too so they're going to be coming with us so I definitely think you're going to see You know, a wide variety of plays being made from a little bit of everybody. It's just going to come down to who does it better, who does it with consistency, and pretty much with McCaffrey getting the number of touches he gets, what do you bring on special teams? I think that's going to really help decide, you know, who's going to make this, uh, who's going to get these two running back spots behind uh, Christian McCaffrey when it comes down to it. Because we already know Armor, Alex Armor is going to be the fullback. And usually we keep a fullback and three running backs. So it's definitely going to be definitely going to be good. And I think when we get down there, because the four-man rush will be in Spartanburg at Camp Wofford, we definitely will have our eyes set on what each one of these backs do and what they're going to bring to the table.
1: What do y'all think is the stiffest competition going into camp? Is it the running back position like we just talking about or do you have something else in mind?
0: I'm looking
2: at the wide receiver position. I mean, you got um, number one, obviously, you got D.J. Moore, you got Curtis Samuel, then you got uh, Jarius Wright, Chris Hogan, Torrey Smith. But then you got guys like Rashad Ross from the AAF. You got uh, Terry Godwin. You got Mose Frazier. And you got another bunch of guys that have been on our practice squad for, you know, a year or two now. So I think that last wide receiver position is going to be stiff competition. And when you think about it, we don't really have a true return specialist on the roster right now because Demir Bird left to Arizona. So with uh, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel assuming bigger roles as wide receivers and Christian McCaffrey basically handling the workload as a running back, you don't want those guys back there returning points and kicks. So I think that last receiver position is going to be key because I think although he's going to be six on the depth chart as a wide receiver, he's going to be probably the starter as the kickoff and punt returner.
1: What about you,
0: Ken? Yeah, for me, as far as battles, I'm kind of looking at on the defensive side, two different positions. I'm thinking, you know, linebacker position for one. I mean, with, you know, with Thomas Davis Sr. moving on to the Los Angeles Chargers, you know, you got to think, when we go in these different fronts, you know, that's a linebacker slot that's that's open. Think about when we're going out 4-3 base. You know, when 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 we go to the 4-3 base, you know, Luke Keekly is the Mike linebacker in the middle. Shaq Thompson took over TD's, you know, wheel linebacker weak side. So who's going to be the Sam, the strong side? And it's been, you know, said that, you know, can someone like a Burns or a Miller, could they fit in that role? Me personally, I would love for last year's, linebacker picks uh, Jermaine Carter Jr. and Andre Smith, see what they can offer as possible options to play the Sam in the uh, 4-3 front. Also, when we uh, switch it to a 30 front, you know, again, in that base, we we like to think that it'll be Shaq Thompson and Luke Kuechly as the inside linebackers. But, you know, who would be the next man up if that happens? You know, again, it's, there's some good battles in the uh, linebacker core, I think, that's Gonna be worth watching and, and always, you know, safety as well. The the DBs. I mean, everybody's been hoping we would have drafted a safety or would have signed a safety. And right now, Herney feels like the answer's on the roster. And I definitely feel like that we got to get be open minded and and trust that what the coaches have seen on a day to day basis that we don't have access to. We got to trust the judgment because you know we on they on the clock. You know, we got to come through. We got to nail this this year as far as a winning season, playoffs, and making a strong playoff push. You know, this ain't the time to coddle feelings and go with, you know, traditional, I guess, Ron Rivera tendencies when it comes to putting the vets ahead. I really think the best player is going to play. So I think it's going to be a real interesting battle, at linebacker and safety. I mean, outside of, you know, Golden, you got to look at a guy like Quinn Blandon, who's who's looking for opportunity to make his name. Also we was talking about, um, special teams contribute, you know, a guy like, uh, what's his name? Farms. You know, he was someone that was making some plays at safety and definitely on special teams as well. So, you know, you got some guys that's, that's trying to, you know, get those last few depth slots that's going to um, put up a fight. So those would be the positions that I, I would, uh, I would be interested in as that linebacker and safety for depth.
1: I pretty much agree with both of you guys, but, um, I'm not going to say I think it's a stiff competition, but, you know, the position I'm most concerned about defensively is that nickel spot. You know, you got uh, – I look at Russ Cockrell, you know, based on what we've seen, he plays some nickel, but he's mostly his own his own corner, and he has the measurables to fit better outside. So I guess that's like a, a Cockrell, Seymour is in that comp, and my favorite guy from a couple drafts ago is still Corin Elder. I know he looked bad you know, playing on the outside last year, but that's not his natural position. He's comfortable hey. at nickel, which was are saying, Gav. Yeah.
0: I was saying, has he turned around yet?
1: <laughs> has Bradbury turned around yet? You know, we that's the issue we got with a lot of our DBs, but hopefully our new coach, Mr. Farrell, can help us out with that. But um, nickel is really a concern for me. Even if, you know, I see scenarios where, you know, having Bradbury on the outside, might give Cockrell some reps on the other piece, on the other outside, and stuffing Dante into that nickel. That's just my concern, man. I just want to see how the secondary is going to actually unfold. It's really just a big question mark. It's not so much of a competition to me. It's just a question mark of how that's going to come into play. And then, um, you know, I look at some of the, some of the guys that contributed on the edge last year was Mr. Cox and Obata. And I like Obata a lot, but I don't know if he can play you know, if we go to that 30 front, can he play a stand-up 3-4 linebacker? Who knows? I know he has athleticism, but it's not something that's on his resume. I'm wondering how much longer Cox is going to stick around because we have quite a few seasons to see what he's able to contribute. You know, his, big, this week, his biggest weakness is just identifying a play. He couldn't really determine if it was a run play or a pass play, and that kind of concerned me, so... You know he's a guy that's we got to look at is on the bubble. So that whole edge, whether you're in the thirty or the forty, that whole edge class, that's just a we. It's just interesting to see how that's going to unfold. Other than that, man, I'm just excited to get the cap.
0: Yeah, and I think that you know the signing of Bruce Irvin is going to pay dividends both on and off the field. I think that by his whole career being a hybrid player, that he can share the experience with these guys. Cause I believe if I'm not mistaken, his first two seasons with Seattle, he was primarily a linebacker and then his third season, that's when he switched over to being more of a defense end. So, you know, he can bring that experience of what it was like to be primarily one and then switching over and then alternating back and forth uh, between the two. So I think that all the edge guys can learn a lot from him, not only just Christian Miller and uh, Brian Burns, but as you mentioned, you know, a guy like Haynes, you know, I know he, I know when um, Bruce Irvin signed that he mentioned um, uh, Cops Jr. specifically, but I, I think, you know, a guy like Haynes, who's often forgot about by Panther fans, you know, this, the 30 front was what they did a lot at Ole Miss, you know, and, and, you know, he's like their all-time set leader. So, you know, he's definitely someone that I'm that I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's gonna definitely do now that we're gonna be playing more of what comes natural for him. And and he's definitely someone that because he didn't do a lot his rookie year, Panther fans have forgotten about, but uh, you know, I think I might just go back and look at some some of his old miss film and see with the different looks in the 30 front what, what made him more effective and uh see how that might can be used. So I'm definitely excited. To um, that, Bruce Irvin has got a chance to really affect this position, not only this season but seasons to come.
1: And as um, far as the uh, you know the competitions at various positions, can we talk about supposedly the biggest one? Is there really a, a quarterback controversy in Carolina? Guys,
0: I'll let Will address that one, man. <laughs> Y'all go ahead with that nonsense, man. Go ahead, Will. Take this on in, man. You
2: know, controversy is a strong word. I mean, it's obviously not a quarterback controversy, but I think there's more of a, um, it's more than what Herney's making it out to be, but it's not anywhere close to what the media is making it out to be, is what I'll say about that. Like, I mean, you don't draft, I mean, Will Greer is not laying in bed staring at his ceiling fan saying, oh man, I can't, I dream of one day supporting and backing up Cam Newton. I can't wait to sit the bench and hold a clipboard and support and help Cam Newton become the ultimate pro. You know, he says the right things to the media, but if you make it to the NFL, you're a competitor. You know, you're out for blood, and he's coming here to try to go be the starter. And I fully expect Cam Newton and Will Greer to push each other, and they're going to bring the best out of each other. And I think as a result of this competition, we're going to see the best Cam Newton that we've seen in years. You know, but I think somebody... On WFNV, FNZ this morning said it best. The only quarterback competition is Carolina. is between Cam Newton and his shoulder. And you know, I fully expect Cam Newton to be the starting quarterback coming into this year. And then hopefully, you know, Will Greer can take his rookie year, learn a lot. And if he needs to step in, he'll be ready to go.
1: The way I see it is just pretty simple, man. I think people are looking too deep into this thing. It's as simple as this. You got to have a replacement for Derek Anderson. Not saying that he was somebody special, but it don't give you a good feeling when you know that if your quarterback go down, your season is almost lost. Like that's just not a good feeling to have. We look at real where with his, with his upside, he's possibly somebody that can come in and we might we not miss a beat. You know, we see that all the time around the league. Look at the Philadelphia Eagles. Carson Wentz goes down, they don't miss a beat. They get to a Super Bowl and win. I think that's the way the trend of the league is going. You want to have valuable backup. So it just makes sense to go get a guy with a lot of upside. And if you don't end up using him, that's trade bait. Well that's uh, yeah, basically trade value. Also, I think that um like you said, it's really all up to Cam. Uh for shoulder holes out, he's gonna play sixteen games and get us to a Super Bowl. That's what kind of confidence I have based on the growth that I've seen him have over the last couple of seasons. Cerebral wise. I mean, Cam's not losing this job. And another thing is before I close out on this position, look around the league. Like, look how Cam spoke about having a backup. He was excited to have real Green Town. You can tell he's completely supportive. That just tells me we have the ultimate leader in our locker room. Everything that people complained about for the last eight years, oh Cam is not a leader. He's so flamboyant. He's a leader to me. Because look what happened in Denver. Joe Flacco literally said that he has no intentions on mentoring Mr. Locke. No intentions. He don't care whether to do fair or succeed. He just there to get his check. He said he wanted to sling it around the field, even though we've never seen him slinging nothing. But that just goes to show you guys, the other guys around the league, they don't support the team. That's not a team statement. Oh, I'm just here to do my job and my job is not mentoring. I really commend Cam for the way he took the approach, you know, with bringing Will Greer in. It just tells me that quarterback room is on the up and up all together.
2: Yeah, but I think we got to differentiate between what Cam being a leader and saying the right things to the media to how he really feels deep inside. When we took Will Greer, Cam went into that Giants game mode, towel over the head, shaking his head, yes, okay, let's go. Deep down inside, I think that's what that's what Cam's response was, but I think he did a good job of you know holding it in. He's going to let his performance speak for itself, on the field. You know, he's not going to have to trash Will Greer in the media and, you know, to downgrade him like Roethlisberger did Mason Rudolph last year and Joe Flacco did Drew Locke this year.
1: Hey, that's still a scream character, Will. I don't care how you look at it. That's a that's a, that's a a big character move, and it's just I'm glad to see that, you know, that's something that we can value because I know for a fact Joe Flacco is not a high-character guy, and with the way he responded to, to Locke coming in, It kind of explains why Lamar Jackson struggled the way he did last year. That man had no support. So I'm just glad we don't have that issue here in Carolina. I don't think it's no quarterback controversy. Cam is still a face of our franchise. We just got a valuable piece behind him that can fill in if needed.
2: Yeah, you look at the other situations, like with Flacco, his play was on the decline. So when they drafted Lamar Jackson, he felt threatened. So like with Ben Roethlisberger, you know, he's been kind of, Stuck. They can't get out of the—well, uh, this year they didn't make the playoffs, I don't believe. But they, you know, can't get past the Patriots every year. So when they drafted a quarterback, yeah, he feels threatened in that way. And I think who was the other veteran? Alex Smith. You know, Kansas City just couldn't win a playoff game with him at quarterback. So when they drafted Mahomes, you know, everybody knew what it was. Our situation is a little bit different because prior to the um, shoulder falling apart cam was having the best statistical season passing of his entire career so you know as cam gets older he's actually adding new dimensions to his game and he's continuing to get better so cam's just going in a different direction than these other guys that got beat out by these younger quarterbacks
0: yeah and one thing that i like about this whole situation when you know with uh cam newton and and with will is the fact like like you said you know when Cam put the towel's head against the Giants when they came back and and uh, tied up the game in the fourth quarter, it's like, all right, it's on. You know, anybody that knows Cam knows he's ultra competitive, and like you said, he probably said the right did right by saying the right thing, and I think he actually means that. But again, I just think he's just ready to 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 just let us let us play talk form. him. You know, we're talking about a guy that's going into his ninth year. Pretty much has had all the hype around him, you know, since basically, you know, arriving in, on the scene in college, uh, in Florida, and you know, we all know about everything that took place from there on out there. But I really look at Cam Newton as, you know, someone that's that's looking forward to to the silence and the doubts because he said he's he's not speaking on everything, but he's he's hearing all the noise, all the doubt. And if this was another log on the fire that's going to bring out a better Cam Newton and personally, I want to go on record for saying that I think Cam Newton, if he's going to be healthy this year, he's going to be better than the 2015 MVP version. Because when you go back and look at the statistics, Cam won MVP, but he was only a 59% passer. We're talking about a guy that was, what, 68% last year with playing with a, a hurt shoulder. You know, with, you he know, a,
1: in the 70s for a little while, too, man.
0: Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think statistically wise, I think Cam is going to definitely be better than what he did when he won the MVP. Now, obviously, other things got to fall into place. But y'all know I was against the move initially with the uh, real grill, But now, I, I like I say, the, the the beast is is quietly building up in Cam Newton. And once he pads get on, we we're going to see the real deal. And everybody's just going to be like, man, who's he? This this Cam. Nah, this ace boogie, you know what I'm saying? So I'm definitely looking forward to it. So uh, I'm with you. I, I don't know who's gonna be jabbing with him at camp since T D gone. You know, somebody gotta step up that ain't really Luke's thing, but uh but you know, when I was at the uh his kickball tournament, charity tournament this past Friday, uh kicking with Cam, I was noticing, you know, was he doing any type of restrictive movements with that shoulder, and honestly. You know, he was slinging that kickball with high velocity. He was throwing, you know, the ball. to. I mean, I didn't really see anything that made me think, okay, Cam, take it easy. You know, that, that's your shoulder. You know, he seemed really loose and, you know, was just out there just having fun, laying on the ground. I mean, just doing all kind of antics that you wouldn't tell this was a guy that just had, you know, a, a second shoulder surgery. torn tied there. <laughs> uh, back in January. So, we all know uh, a fun-loving Cam is a dangerous Cam. And if what I saw this past Friday was any indication, we have yet to see the best of Cam Newton. And I'm going I'm to I'm I'm go stand by that.
1: Well, just to answer your question, you know, who's going to be drawing that Cam come training camp, I think you should have known who that was already. Who was my favorite player from last year's class? It's Axton Jackson. Don't let him get a pick in training camp. I promise you, that's going to open up the floodgates. <laughs> They're going to be jabbing at each other. It's going to bring back memories, like how Josh Norman and Cam used to get into it. Axon Jackson is just like, he's like the Cam version on defense to me as far as the competitive edge. You know, he bring that energy that we've been lacking for years. We got to see a good taste of it last year. But um, what about all this other controversy we've been hearing about? You know, I heard something on the radio about how we had the worst offseason. What y'all think about that?
2: It's a lot of misinformed opinions out there, if you ask me. I mean, one, um, almost, I forget his name. That just tells you what how much. Um, He's a nobody. He <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, he tells about that we're relying on too much young talent. And my question is where? I mean, Brian Burns and Christian Miller, they're young, but nothing's going to be given to them. I mean, I fully expect, you know, in minicamp, Starts in a couple weeks. It's going to be Mario Addison and Bruce Irvin. You know, Burns and Miller got to earn their reps. I mean, wide receiver, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, they got a full year under their belt now. You know, I don't consider them you know, newbies anymore. You know, we talked about we had to replace Devin Funches. I mean, we played 9, 10 games last year with DJ and Curtis running the show. So it just seemed like a misinformed opinions out there to me.
1: Yeah, I agree 100% because you're talking about replacing Devin Funches. I feel like we replaced him after the Lions game, to be honest with you. Kept it moving from there. I don't have much to say about the, you know, the misinformed opinions because if you're just looking around our division, I can tell you a team in our division that had a worse, a worse offseason than us, look at the Atlanta Falcons. They used up the majority of their cap space on interior linemen. They went and got two interior linemen, paid them decent money. And what are they doing in the they take a, a guard with they take a guard with their first pick who was actually you know projected to be a second round pick not saying he wasn't the best guard in the draft he was a projected second round pick and if you look at the other picks nobody else took a guard in the first round he would have been there then you get to the end of the first round they trade up to go get their tackle who wasn't even the best tackle in the draft like you talk about having a bad offseason, really? Right, was our offseason that much worse than Atlanta's? Because between Atlanta and the New York Giants, you could you know, they can duke it out themselves. So I completely disagree with that sentiment that we had a bad offseason. I feel like we addressed holes in free agency in a way that we didn't even think was possible. You know, before free agency, we thought we had no money at all. You look what uh, Herney was able to do. He re-signed Eric Reid, a Pro Bowl-caliber player who, uh, Went and got yourself Daryl Williams on a prove it deal, even if he's not a starter, or if he is a starter, we still have depth at the tackle position that we didn't have last year. There was a ton of other moves that he just made that we just were just we were just in awe, like yo, how was he able to accomplish this? I thought we had an outstanding off season, to be honest with you. So I don't know, you like you said, that's a misinformed opinion, but the fact that you know shady stuff like this is being thrown at us. Seem like we got our backs against the wall, I and mean, we the underdogs. I don't know what time it is, so hopefully we just take that and add it as fuel to the fire.
2: Yeah, before the draft even started, Herney made sure he had veteran uh, leadership at every position, just in case you know the rookies don't pick up the playbook fast enough, or you know just don't come don't come around. I mean, draft picks don't always work out, so. I mean, if we had to go to war today, we can go to war with Bruce Irvin, Mario Addison, and be a competitive football team. So I don't think there's any position where we're really banking on youth the way he said we are. I mean, free safety with Golden. I mean, it's May. I mean, I imagine they'll let golden run mini camp, see how well he picks up the playbook, processes things, and if they don't like what they'll see, they'll sign a veteran. And, you know, if they – shows enough, they'll ride with them in the training camp. So, you know, it just, it's just way too early for that. You know, I think you know the roster is always a work in process up until the first game against the Rams.
0: You know, these the things that's has been said about the Carolina Panthers, for all our fans out here listening, these are the issues that was bothering us that led to the four man rush being created. You know, we were tired of the national media pretty much Anything dealing with us, it was something negative about Cam' attitude or anything like that, or it was a quick gloss over. You know, understanding that we have a smaller media market. You know, we're not large like the the New York market, the Los Angeles market. You know, other you know much bigger metropolitan areas. And when people speak about us outside of the Carolina, Hampton fan base, you know, when we speak to our other friends and family who are football fans and they always come to us with these crazy things they're hearing. This is this is why we had to do what we had to do and form the four-man rush because we had to tell the story the way it's going to be, the way it's actually told. You know, so by you know, speaking on these rumors, this is just just re, reaffirms our passion while we like doing what we do for all of our fans out here. We want to bring the story to you factual, logical, and credible. Because these things that the media is putting out or opinions being said, you know, 90% of everybody else that's not a Panther fan is probably going to believe it. And that's fine. You know, we know what they say about opinions. They're like, you know, another part of the body. But, you know, I'm going to leave that alone. But overall, you know, hearing stuff like this is what what's make each one of us here at the four-man rush love our job. So if that's what they want to say about us, fine, cool, no problem. You know, I we'll see you week one when we uh shot the Rams 27 to 10. Yeah, I said it first, 27-10, Panthers beating the Rams at home to shock the world. That's that's what I'm gonna, you know, spit out on my end. That's just how I feel right now. But uh but moving right along to speaking of the Panthers and and the Carolinas in general, uh this past week down in Columbia, South Carolina. After a, a much dragged-out debate, the Senate of the South Carolina government decided to grant the 120 million dollars in tax breaks to the Panthers to allow them to be able to build their new headquarters and practice facilities in the state of South Carolina, and particularly uh, in the York County area, which is right along the state line. More and to be more specific. Looks like they're targeting the city of Rock Hill. And there was some politics being played, of course. There was some doubt being you know, about it because was allowing this tax break, was it gonna give the money back to the state that that the Panthers are saying? And you know, it was just some back and forth. You know, even one guy stood up and said, Well, I'll vote yes if the Panthers are played two games in South Carolina each year, like any game not at Bank of America is a disadvantage. I don't care if we play at where UNCC play football at. If it ain't at the vault, it's a disadvantage for the Panthers, you know. And I just, I'm just glad that the vote came down. It was 27-15 in the South Carolina Senate to approve the uh, tax breaks for the Panthers. And for those that don't, that's not for me, it, all these tax breaks are saying is that for the Panthers to Anyone that works for the Carolina Panthers organization, it's not a blank check for 120 million dollars that they're giving. Basically, the basically no one is going to have to file their taxes for the state of South Carolina. So the, basically, they're allowing this money. Instead, since you're not filing your taxes, all this money is going to go towards what the Panthers are going to have to spend in order to build up the facility, to build the headquarters, and things like that. So. You know, just to dispel some of the rumors, because I saw a lot of it in the Panthers group. So State of South Carolina did not just write a blank check. Basically, you know, the Panthers organizations not gonna have to pay any state taxes. And that money not being used taken out for taxes is gonna go towards building up the uh the new Panthers headquarter and facility. Um, you know, we don't like to do politics, you know, on here. We like to keep about football, but starting off with you, Will, um What would you like to add to it about this whole uh, uh, South Carolina headquarters tax breaks thing?
2: Well, you know, originally I like the idea. You know, I think David Tepper is really embracing the two states, uh, one team model by wanting to play games, continue to play games in Charlotte, but have the headquarters in South Carolina, have training camp and practices in South Carolina. So just really make both states really feel, you know, a part of the team. I think. You know, you look at the Panthers, I think the New England Patriots are the only other team that kind of represent multiple states at once, you know, off the top of my head. But I just really like how he's kind of trying to embrace that model. So I'm happy they were able to get something done and I hope it works out.
1: I live in Atlanta, so honestly, you know, I'm so dedicated to this. I don't care where we're practicing and I'm going to be there. So I know, you know, for South Carolina residents, that is a little bit concerning if they got to pay, you know, maybe higher taxes, you know, to have a venue over there. Um, I know a lot of them are concerned that they might not get the same return investment because when you sign that contract, there's nothing that, you know, there's nothing that holds the owner responsible for making sure or guaranteeing that there's a profit for the, for the city or the state. But I mean, I try not to do politics, man. It's all about football. It's all about making sure we put our players in the best position or the most comfortable position to succeed. You know, and I just thought this was just a gesture from Mr. Tapper, you know, to make sure that the South Carolina State is involved. And, you know, I'm glad it got approved. So hopefully, you know, pretty soon we'll be able to, instead of going to for College, sitting in that beaming sun, we might be able to step into a dome and watch practice a little bit. So there is some upside about it. I just don't. You know, it don't concern me too much. You know, it is what it is. The government is the government. We don't have no control over what
0: they do. Yeah, and you know, another thing to keep Panther fans abreast on, if you want to get an idea of what the Panthers headquarters and facilities looking at, I mean David Tepper himself has mentioned, you know, wanna model something very similar to what the uh, I had to say this name, but the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I know that's bitter for a lot of Panther fans to say, but the Dallas Cowboys, you know, facility, you know, it's called The Star. It's pretty much a state-of-the-art, you know, facility where not only they have, you know, practice and headquarters, but they have restaurants, you know, sh- retail stores for shopping, all type of business where it's pretty much, you know, making money 24-7, 365, not just for, you know, the Cowboys, but for you know, the area as well. And this is something that David Tepper is wanting to, you know, bring here with the Panthers. Um, It's about, you know, I'm looking at it right now. It's about 510,000 square foot indoor athletic facility. Uh, It's not even in Dallas. It's in the city of Frisco, Texas. So, you know, if y'all just want to check it out to see what potentially our new um, headquarters going to be looking like, uh, just look up Dallas Cowboys practice facility. It's called the Ford Center at the store. It opened up in 2016. It holds 12,000 um, fans. So just to give you guys an idea of what you possibly can be looking forward to uh, with the, with the, with the Panthers when they open up their facility, you know, that's pretty much all that's on my mind, fellas. Um, anything else that, that y'all want to touch on real quick before we wrap this up? No, that pretty
2: much uh, covers it, you know, just, Stay with us as we go through the offseason. This is probably the slow part. You know, start to pick up again with mini camp and everything. Starting to I think it starts at the end of May. So, you know, just hang up. Football's year around for us.
1: It's a race to OTAs right now. We want to see how the how the rookies, the rookies acclimate with the veterans. Honestly, man, my eyes are set on camp, man. I just can't wait to actually get there live in person. Four man rush will be there. Um, just to give you the best coverage we can. Kev, you want to shout everybody out as far as, you know, our, our platforms, you know, let people know where we can, we, we can be accessed besides Facebook.
0: Yeah, as far as the four-man rush, what we uh, what we got in the works, Panther fans, is the fact that, you know, we're looking to bring this information to you in a variety of ways that you can have not only easy access to, but understand. Uh, the four-man rush, we're, we're taking small but steady steps to forming our own website for you guys to have access to. Uh, this website is strictly built for everything in mind that you could possibly want. So our target is to have this website up and running before by the time training camp kicks around. So we want you guys to definitely uh, look out for that. Uh, also with the four-man rush, uh, we're looking forward to uh, being available on iTunes coming up pretty soon as well. Uh, that's definitely something that I know a lot of, You have the fans who are uh, big fans of Apple can be able to listen to us on different venues as well. I mean, I'm just really excited for what the Foreman Rush is doing and everything we're going through. Also, want to make sure that, you know, everybody's aware that, as was mentioned by Larry, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Also, don't forget YouTube as well. Um, Our very own Will was just uh, invited on, what was it, keep pounding podcasts. Panther Nation podcasts. Yeah, yeah. He was on there last night and he represented well and you know gave them the X and O's because they said they don't even really talk about the X and O's like that, which is something that we specialize in. So uh we definitely look forward to um you know just spreading our knowledge and our love to all of Panthers Nation. You know, we may be on different platforms with different people but at the end of the day we're all family So you know um with that being said. On behalf of myself, Larry, Will, everybody behind the scenes, Tim, Greg, Monty, and Norris, until the next time, keep pounding, and thank you for tuning in to The Four Man Rush.